Prospects of Pros is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts. And because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. The app is super simple to use. Just find the game you want, buy in two taps. Plus, GameTime has concert, NBA, NHL tickets, and more. So with GameTime, you'll never miss out. So download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Welcome to the Athletics Prospects to Pros podcast and welcome to Conference Championship Week. Uh, I'm Chris Burke, joined alongside here by Dane Brugler and our producer Kent Garrison. Uh, hope you all had a nice, safe, healthy Thanksgiving. Hope uh, you got to spend some time with family. Uh, hope you subscribe to The Athletic if you haven't yet because we had some nice deals uh, running. Still got some stuff up. If you go to uh, theathletic.com slash prospects to pros, you can get some uh, money off your subscription if you missed those. Black Friday, uh, Cyber Monday deals, but uh, a lot to get into here. This is our first of two shows this week. Uh, this first one is free for everyone. The second one is for subscribers only. We usually do that on Thursday. So again, if you want to get in, uh, athletic.com slash prospects to pros. Uh, Dane, hope uh, you had a good holiday. Not sure how many uh, nationally televised starts you had David Blau down for before the <laughs> season started, but uh, we're up to one. <laughs> probably that's hey, probably as high as we're going to get, but we got to one. Hey, you played pretty well, right? I mean, you you uh, you had a, a great seat for that one. Uh, I mean, what'd you think for his debut? Yeah, I mean, I thought he, considering you know, especially on a short week, um, I thought he played about as well as you could have hoped. They came out throwing the ball around second half. You know, the Bears uh, defense settled in a little bit there, but. I mean, I thought the Lions' problems are not on the offensive side of things. Mm-hmm. And Daryl Bevel's done a really good job uh, with the play calling there. And they lost Matthew Stafford. Jeff Driscoll played all right. Now David Blau came in and played well. So their problems really aren't on that side of the ball. But, yeah, that was uh, – it's been a year where we've seen uh, quite a few rookie quarterbacks step in that we weren't necessarily expecting to play. And not just rookies, you know, second, third-year guys too. And uh, that's that was kind of the latest one. It's been – it's been a little wild around the NFL quarterback front this year. Yeah, no question. And I think Blau's showed that, hey, I'm, I could be a backup in this league. You know, I, I've, I've got enough skill. Um, you know, we knew he had the arm. Uh, the competitive makeup was always there. And he played under control. He didn't, make, he didn't really have that, you know, that devastating mistake or, you know, multiple mistakes that piled up. Uh, you know, he did enough to keep the Lions in the game. And, you know, and just it wasn't enough at the end. But... Um, yeah, I, I, you know, the, the Thursday, it was, there was some interesting football with, uh, with, with Buffalo going to Arlington and doing what they did to the Cowboys. Uh, the NFC East is just a mess right now, but the, <laughs> the, the quarterback situations, uh, you, you kind of, you mentioned it. That's, I'm actually, I'm working on the first mock draft of the year right now. Uh, it'll be up uh, here this week on the athletic and, Trying to figure out where these quarterbacks are going to go—that uh, that's such an interesting part of this, of every first round, of every mock draft. But uh, especially this year, when you talk about the the 
all the different names we've heard at, at different quarterback spots. Um, you know, we're going to have a surprise this year in terms of maybe a team we weren't thinking, uh, you know, going and taking a quarterback early. Uh, you know, Tua's a wild card. Justin Herbert's a complete wild card. Uh, Jordan Love, does he go back to school uh, and maybe grad transfer? Does he come out? I'm told it's 50-50. Uh, so there's just so many dominoes uh, when we talk about the quarterback position and as it, per- as it pertains to the draft. And you know, I think we're going to be trying to figure that out over the next six months. Yeah, and we want to get into conference championship week, and I think that's the other element. You already have uh, some fans, at least. I don't know if NFL teams necessarily think this way, but you look ahead to next year and Trevor Lawrence, you mentioned Jordan Love maybe going back. Uh, Justin Fields is, I'm sure, going to have another huge year for Ohio State next year. Uh, so you've got those quarterbacks that are going to be there at the top of next year's class too. And uh, so you have some sort of the argument of, well, maybe if you don't get, if you don't, if you're not in love with Joe Burrow and you don't trust, you know, Tua's health, maybe you go somewhere else and wait for next year. It's kind of a risky game, but. Uh, there's always kind of that long-term play around the draft, too, or if you don't like what you see this year at one position, that's not just true at quarterbacks. I mean, I think that holds up at every position. If you need a wide receiver, you're not in love with the wide receivers, maybe you try to try to duct tape it together for a year and see if you can get someone the next year. But uh, the quarterbacks, like you said, it's, it's, it's always the number one topic when we talk about the draft and has been here on our show, and uh, that's kind of the other element of it is that next year's quarterback class already looks – like it could be pretty stacked at the top. Yeah, yeah, no question. And we'll have to see how does the Chris Peterson um, stepping down at Washington decision, how does that affect Jacob Eason and, and what he does um, in terms of going back for one more year, uh, which I think he would really benefit from. Uh, but he's a fourth-year junior, older guy, wouldn't be surprised if he leaves. Um, that, that'll be one of those interesting decisions. And then – Jake Fromm, uh, who has had an up and down uh, junior year, I think he's. I don't know if going back to school is really going to help him much. I think he's just he is what he is, and that's not a bad thing. I think he's you know could be a, a starter in the league, but I don't know if he's going to go to back to school and magically become a top ten pick. I just I, I think that uh, the weaknesses are what they are uh, when you talk about you know his his profile and. Uh, when you when you evaluate his skill set, uh, but he's going to have a big game coming up here. Uh, uh, LSU, uh, it's you know it's it's for probably a spot in the playoff. I think if uh, George is able to upset LSU, um, it's they're not going to be able to keep Georgia out of the playoff, out of the top four. And it really it might make the we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves here talking about next week already, but it, it might make the decision uh, for the committee pretty easy uh, if. If Ohio right. State wins, which Ohio State coming off the big win against uh, Michigan, um, didn't I don't know if anybody expected that many points. Uh, the over-under was, I think, 53. <laughs> and Ohio State scored, what, 56 by themselves. Uh, so, you know, high-scoring game, um, you know, Michigan, you know, I, I don't even if they played perfect, uh, I don't know if they would have won. But of course, those self-inflicted wounds uh, really piled up and just – you know, you can't do that against a, a, a team as talented as Ohio State. Um, and then Wisconsin uh, going to Minnesota and, and you know, winning a, a tough game. Uh, you know, Minnesota got out to that quick start, 7 to nothing in the early in the first quarter, and then they just kind of sputtered. And, and Wisconsin was able to uh, uh, make uh, do some things against that defense. So Ohio State versus Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game. Um, but if – and then Clemson, of course, uh, going up against Virginia in the ACC title game. 
if Ohio State wins, Clemson wins, and then Georgia beats LSU, that's kind of your four teams right there. Uh, I don't see LSU not making it at this point, uh, no matter what happens. Um, you know, unless Joe Burrow suffers a devastating injury and Georgia blows him out, that'd be the only possibility of LSU not making it. Um, so that would make things pretty clean. Uh, but if LSU wins, then that's what opens things up for Utah and possibly the Big 12 winner, uh, which is the Baylor-Oklahoma game. So uh, things are going to be really interesting this upcoming weekend. We talk about these final four and then, but also the... Uh, a lot of the prospects involved, especially these quarterbacks, uh, you know, Jake Fromm and uh, Joe Burrow in the SEC title game, uh, Justin Herbert, uh, uh, Friday night in the Pac-12 title game, going up against that Oregon defense, uh, or excuse me, the Utah defense that we've talked a lot about, yeah. uh, and all the future NFL guys on that team. So uh, a lot to watch for this upcoming weekend. Yeah, I, just to sort of piggyback on that, I mean, it's hard to bump Ohio State out, even if they lose to Wisconsin, I think. Like you said, I think it's hard to bump LSU out with a loss, so... There's maybe that one spot left over for for someone to sneak in. Maybe it's Utah. I think, you know, we talked about it before. We kind of lost a little bit of the luster on that Pac-12 game. If if Oregon was sitting at eleven and one instead of ten and two that Friday night, or really, mm-hmm. th- that really would become a huge, huge game. I mean, it's still a big one. It's still a top fifteen matchup for a Power Five conference championship, and Utah with a win is in the conversation. But uh, yeah, they you know you really need LSU. Uh, to beat Georgia, if you're if you're a Utah fan or an Oklahoma or Baylor fan, you know one of those teams trying to sneak into that fourth spot. I mean, Ohio State. Uh, we've talked. J.K. Dobbins, man, is just ridiculous. Awesome. And yeah. I think the other thing about before I go back on him, like you look ahead, just what Ohio State had out there. I don't know. I know other teams have done a better job, certainly than what Michigan did uh, defensively, and there are a lot of breakdowns. Uh, in that game again for the Michigan defense. But you look towards next year, and assuming Dobbins leaves, we've kind of touched on there's other backs waiting to come step in and mm. be that number one guy at Ohio State. Fields will be back. Chris Olave maybe uh, might be one of the best re- receivers in football next year if he's not already yep. this year. Uh, Garrett Wilson had the big game. I mean, they're just loaded again next year. So it's kind of scary to think about that this offense could get even more explosive than it is now. But Dobbins, again, you know, you see it was a lot of what we've seen all year where some of those runs are coming, you know, he's not even coming close to getting touched until he's six or seven yards downfield because the offensive line is just demolishing people, and especially between the tackles, really, you know, those centers and the center and guards just moving guys out of there and giving him those openings. But uh, just his ability to get to those holes, make that quick cut, get up field and, and maximize his yardage. I mean, he's just so good at finding those spaces and keeping his balance uh, through contact when the contact is there and then finishing those runs. I mean, there's just, there's so much to like about his game that, uh, I mean, I think a team, I mean, I think you've got to consider him a, a fairly high draft pick at this point and a guy that's going to step in and maybe be uh, a legitimate number one back right away next year. Yeah, I mean, he's just – he's built for the pro game. Um, and, I, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. Ohio State, especially those interior three, deserve credit for um, what they've done, especially in the run game. But J.K. Dobbins, his vision is special. Um, it, it, his ability to quickly read, survey the line, 
hit the hole, clear the hole, and attack that <clears> second <throat> level, it's just it's it's a really unique skill that is not just about athleticism. It's not just about speed. It's about tempo. It's about patience. It's about decision making, and that's what really makes uh, a running back. And you know that's why the best running backs weren't just the best athletes. You know, Emmett Smith was not uh, just this ridiculous athlete. Um, you know, uh, in relation to um, you know other uh, other positions, he was just really good at feeling the hole, hitting it, and you know maximizing each run. And that's kind of what J.K. Dobbins does. Um, you know, it's it's really impressive to watch. I don't know, especially like like I said, I'm working on this mock draft. It's hard to find teams that really have that dire need at running back and would draft one in the first round. Even talking about DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, Travis Etienne. Uh, I mean, I think Dobbins is, you know, right there in that mix. Uh, it's tough to find landing spots. And I, I think there's there's a good chance we might only see maybe maybe one running back drafted in the first round, maybe two. And it's not because of the talent. It's just because, I, you know, we look at how teams look at the running back position. And unless you're really special, unless you're Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, um, even like a Josh Jacobs last year, I, you know, I don't know if we're going to see you go that high. And not to say that we don't have – Jonathan Taylor is awesome. DeAndre Swift, big fan. Um, but I'm just not sure if we're going to have those obvious landing spots in the first round. It's it's a really interesting exercise to look at these teams and say, okay, how many would realistically look at running back in the first round when you consider the fact that this is a, a strong draft, especially at receiver, at tackle, um, at several other positions, and you know which ones have that much of a need where they would spend a first round pick. Uh, on one of those running backs. I, they're just, there are not a lot of teams out there. Well, and I think you also hit on the other aspect of it is if you think there are going to be four or five really good guys in round two or round three, then, you know, do you, do you take that guy in round one? Like, do you take a J.K. Dobbins in round one if, if one of those other guys that you mentioned, you know, or Swift in round one or Taylor in round one, if you can get uh, Etienne or Hubbard or Najee Harris or Zach Moss or any of these other running backs we've talked about over the last few months. I mean, these are going to be guys that are going to be there in mm-hmm. rounds two, three, four. And and certainly you can see plugging in a lot of those those backs and expecting them to contribute. Maybe not be 220 carry guys, 200 carry guys next year, but certainly be a you know 1B type guy if you already have a 1A or, or be part of that that backfield package, and I think uh, there is that talent kind of down the board. Like I said, we've hit on a ton of them. Benny LeMay, I mean, we've hit a, thrown out a ton of these names over the last three, four months here, and, and it seems like it's shaping up to be a good class if you're looking for not just a running back, but maybe some value at that position. I'm so glad you mentioned Benny LeMay because I just I actually just did his tape, and I really like Benny LeMay. Um you know, not the biggest guy, about 5'8", 216 pounds, but in the same vein as J.K. Dobbins, just a guy that understands the play design. I mean, he understands anticip- or how to anticipate holes. You know, he allows the blockers to do their job, and he hits and clears holes, like, just has a unique feel for timing and, you know, doing it at the, at the, at the right moment where he's going to maximize those runs, and he's a tough guy to finish off, so... Benny LeMay out of the senior class out of Charlotte. And, 
you know, I, I, Charlotte's, they've got a few guys this year. Uh, Clark, the left tackle. Um, you know, I did a piece on Alex Highsmith earlier this year, uh, one of the better pass rushers uh, in the mid-rounds in this senior class that'll be available. But Benny LeMay is draftable as well. I wouldn't be surprised uh, when it's all said and done if we if he ends up getting a call-up to the senior bowl, uh, just, you know, based off of, uh, you know, attrition and, and how those things work. Um, but it, yeah, it's, uh, it, this running back class, especially when we talk about the, you know, uh, probably 15 underclassmen that are <laughs> going to come out, um, you know, it's, it's going to be a strong group. And because of that, like you mentioned, you know, am I really going to take, I mean, I, as much as I love DeAndre Swift, am I going to take him, um, you know, at number 20 overall when I could, probably get a, a Chuba Hubbard uh, in the second round or a Cam Akers or whoever uh, when I have a more of a dire need at offensive tackle. Um, and we're going to have, you know, five, maybe six offensive tackles going the first round because it's another strong group for that position. Um, uh, back to the playoff for a, a little bit. It's going to be interesting with the Pac-12 game Friday night because if Oregon's able to upset Utah, uh, then that Big 12 championship game, uh, which is a noon game uh, on Saturday, noon Eastern, that almost becomes like a play-in game uh, between Baylor and Oklahoma. May- and maybe not so. If Georgia ends up beating LSU, then all for naught. But if L- LSU-, LSU is able to beat Georgia, uh, Baylor-Oklahoma could possibly be a play-in game uh, for that final, th- in that, that fourth spot. It-, it should be interesting. Baylor... I don't know. You look at their schedule and they do not have an impressive resume um, in terms of who they've beaten. Uh, their non-conference is a joke. Um, now, to their credit, I mean, they rolled through the Big 12. Their only blemish being that uh, the 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 lost Oklahoma a couple of weeks ago in the final minutes, which they you know led that game for uh, most of it. Um, if they're able to look good and beat Oklahoma, um, not like a blowout, but if they're able to look like the better team and defeat Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game, that's they're going to be even though they're you know not they're not five or six. I think right now they're like number nine. We'll have to see what they are in the updated poll on Tuesday night. But it, it's going to be tough to keep Baylor out as a conference champion. What twelve and one team? So uh, I think if Oklahoma, if Utah loses, Oklahoma wins. Oklahoma is going to get that fourth spot, but if Baylor wins, that's going to be an interesting discussion point um, for for the committee, uh, and I think it'd be tough to keep them out. Yeah, I mean the committee always, at least publicly, tries to emphasize the conference championships, but you, like you said, the schedule discussion. If Georgia's sitting there with I mean, two losses, and I mean I don't think Alabama's still in this conversation at this point, but no. you know, Alabama's sitting there with two losses. I mean I guess it'd be Georgia, a two-loss Georgia team. Is that who? would keep them out. Um, but, but like yeah. you mentioned, I mean, Baylor's non-conference was uh, Rice, Stephen F. Austin, and and uh, UTSA, whereas right. Georgia – and their big wins would be two wins over Oklahoma or be, would be the win over Oklahoma, I guess. And then right. uh, Georgia's, Georgia's got the win over Notre Dame. They won at Florida. They won at Auburn. Um, so, you know, their other two non-conference games were uh, Murray State and – Arkansas State and Georgia Tech uh, last week so um, they've had uh, a couple breaks in there but certainly not to the extent that that Baylor has so um, I mean, it'd have to be yeah, that, right? they, I mean just a 12 and one conference champion uh, power five conference champion there's no yeah. way they get left out over a two loss non-champion right 
So, you know, if, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, if, if Oregon wins Friday night, then that Oklahoma Baylor game, I, I think it's pretty much a play in game. Uh, and assuming that LSU takes care of Georgia, I, I think that would be really fascinating. Um, you know, I, unless Georgia just plays the game of, of their lives and they lose on a, you know, last second field goal, 45, 42, or, you know, something crazy like that. Maybe that's the only chance uh, of it not working out that way. Um, but if uh, Utah does take care of business Friday night, then it kind of comes down to style points, really. Um, you know, how impressive, and it'll be interesting, you know, this past week, Utah was, what, five, Utah was five, or six, six Oklahoma yeah, seven. Was five, yeah. Yeah. So it was Utah six, Oklahoma seven. And so it'll be interesting this week how, uh, if they stay the same, are they flipped? Um, and then it really might come down to style points. Um, you know, how impressive does Utah look against Oregon? How impressive does Oklahoma look against Baylor? Um, it, that, that definitely will be interesting to see how it plays out. But it is interesting with uh, the one game being Friday night uh, and how that might change the mindset going into Saturday. Yeah, and we said last week, I, I mean, it'd be fun to see Utah get in, and especially because of that defense. You'll probably be looking right. at an Ohio State matchup. Uh, we just talked about how explosive that Ohio State offense is. Maybe Utah could hang in there defensively. Yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. Uh, uh, I mean, certainly Ohio State, Georgia, and Ohio State, uh, Ohio State, Georgia at least would have some intrigue. Uh, Ohio State, Baylor to me feels like it would be not. Great, but who knows? Maybe I'm underselling Baylor. Um, but obviously, the other game that cleared some space here was the Bama Auburn result. Just a man that <laughs> SEC, Crazy. the SEC with all these points. I don't really know how to react to it. Frankly, it's just <laughs> totally different. Forty-eight, forty-five. Auburn had uh, a couple huge plays defensively to help swing that game. A um, couple pick sixes and. Uh, <laughs> Jeez, man. I, and I still have in my notes that Derek Brown played a great, you know, Derek oh, Brown was impressive again. Remarkable. In a game where his defense gives up 45 points. So, um, uh, you know, obviously a lot to unpack there from a, a draft perspective too. But Derek Brown stood out. Obviously, the you know, the Alabama receivers made some plays. Uh, what were your takeaways from that game? Well, I think one of the biggest ones was uh, – Alabama might have three players drafted, three receivers drafted in the first round in April. And it was the guy that's not one of those three that had a career game. Like that's just how deep that group is. It's ridiculous with Jalen Waddle, how good he looked, um, you know, with the return for the touchdown, uh, then as a receiver on offense, uh, he is why the term eliminates pursuit angles exists because he just has that special athleticism. And it's more than just, straight line speed it's uh just it's just a special athleticism that helps you uh win before and after the catch uh really really special player it's that that receiving core is just it's unbelievable uh Derek brown absolutely stood out um him and that defensive line marlon davidson uh the auburn that it's Derek brown came back to win an sec title that didn't work out uh but i think he's not regretting it at all with, uh, especially with the outcome of, uh, of that, his final iron bowl, uh, being able to, you know, his final game at Jordan Hare, uh, beating, uh, Alabama like that. I mean, that, that's just a memory that he's going to cherish the rest of his life. So that's going to be, uh, I think the question with him, my, my biggest question with Derek Brown coming into the year was, could he be, could he do enough as a pass rusher 
to justify him going top 15. Uh, we know he's a powerful guy. We know he's a high motor guy. Uh, but if I'm drafting a defensive tackle in the top 15 picks, you have to be able to get to the quarterback. Um, and I think that we saw him take strides this year. So I think he answered some of the questions that we had coming into the season about him as a pass rusher. Now, I mean, he's in the top 10. Um, it's just, does he get in the top five might be the better yeah. question uh, because he's just, he's so dominant of a player as a run defender and as a pass rusher. Well, that's what I was going to ask because I, I just, uh, we're recording here on Tuesday and I've got a post going up for the athletic Detroit looking since the lions have uh, accidentally entered tank mode here um, looking at their possible options. I mean, they, they're at six right now. They could get as high as, I guess they could get as high as two, but realistically probably could get as high as three. And Derek Brown to me looks like a guy that has to be in the mix for them in that, even in that range, assuming Chase Young's off the board before they're on the clock. I mean, I think Derek Brown is a guy that they have to consider. And uh, you mentioned the pass rush and you go back and look at like, you can pull up tape from, from this game against Alabama. He was really good against Florida he had made some plays against LSU, so he's doing it on those big stages and against some really good offensive linemen, and I guess that was going to be my question. Like, what is his ceiling at this point? I mean, if we're assuming – if it's still Joe Burrow as that QB1 is going one or two and Chase Young is probably taking that other spot, like, is there a possibility Derek Brown's the third player off the board in this draft? I, I, depending on who is picking three, you can't rule it out. Um, I, now, is he – going back to what I said before, in order to take him that high, you have to be convinced that he can offer value as a pass rusher. And that's right. – I think, like I said, he's taking strides in that area. Um, for me personally, I haven't seen enough where I would take him maybe over some of these other, other players. Now, I, I would take him somewhere in the top ten. Uh, but I personally, there are some offensive tackles I would rather have, uh, maybe even an AJ Epinesa. Um, but I mean, he's right there in that mix. And not only is he such a dominant player on the field, uh, but he's also a self-starter. Uh, I mean, he affects the game with his effort. Uh, his, he comes from a great family who's, you know, they instilled uh, work ethic and motivation in him at a young age. Uh, he's a locker room leader. Like he's got a lot of the intangibles that you look for, um, you know, in terms of just uh, being a a guy that you're going to, you know, a pillar of the locker room, a guy that you're going to rely on if you're uh, trying to build culture. So, you know, there's a lot of selling points with Derek Brown. Um, and we talk about him in the top five. I think it's just kind of splitting hairs that, I might prefer an offensive tackle uh, rather than a defensive tackle in that position, but he could be a home wrecker. And I think he'll, he has the explosive strength. Um, he could be diverse with where you line him up. It could be a one technique, could be, you can put him at defensive end. He'd be just fine. Um, I think he needs to continue and improve as a pass rusher, but the strides that he's taken this year uh, tell me that, you know, he will continue and get better in that area. So, yeah, I, in, uh, I actually, I've mapped out, the mock that I'm doing and I do have him going in the top seven picks. Um, hmm. And it's, okay. it is interesting because um, Detroit right now they're at number six and yep. they're, I could see that definitely being a possible landing spot for him. Uh, but could also say the same about Atlanta could say the same about a couple of these other teams um, where it would be just a natural fit. So yeah, I think he's right there in that mix as being a top seven or eight pick in this draft. 
Yeah, and I think it, the other reason that the pass rush conversation is interesting is because a lot of – you hear NFL coaches talk a lot now that one of the ways that they have to counter what's happening with offenses and just the the way teams are spreading the field, they're getting the ball out quicker, the, one of the ways you have to counter that is by having someone in that you know defensive tackle role who can play the you know over the ball, out to the three, maybe five tech, but can mm-hmm. be a – a quick penetrating force against the pass because that's you know, teams can't totally take edge rushers out of the game, but a lot of times these offenses can neutralize uh, some of those elite pass rushers by just how they're able to get the ball out quick and how they're able to sort of scheme their blocking towards them. I mean, we saw Michigan do it a little bit to Chase Young. We were talking about that game. <laughs> that was one of the way. I mean, that was as effective, I think, as any team's been yeah. uh, against Chase Young this year, and obviously they still lost by – four touchdowns but um you know you can do that to edge rushers to some extent it's a lot harder to do it if you have a guy that can consistently push the pocket from that tackle spot it throws everything off that's one of the ways uh teams have beaten you know tom brady and aaron Rodgers over the years as you get after him from those interior spots not so much the edge guys so if Derek brown is that guy i think uh, certainly there's a case to be made for him up there, and it's hard to see him falling too far <laughs> because of how good he's been. And again, again, how good he's been against uh, that elite competition. I guess we'll see now if he's done. There's going to be a lot of talk, a lot of discussions to be had about who's going to be playing in these bowl games outside of mm. the playoff, uh, which is maybe a topic for uh, another week or two as we get closer to bowl season. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that that's, that's a – potential top 10 guy he's just been so good all year long yeah no doubt and you know i I think you made a a good point about his ability to line up uh, over the ball and then to the outside with so many different teams running so many different hybrid schemes these days uh even in odd fronts um you know i lions being one of them right with the the way they'll kind of mix their scheme and uh, if you have a guy that can play nose tackle one down and then you know kick out and play the three or the five, uh, you know, play over the the offensive tackle or inside a shoulder. If you have a guy that can flawlessly make that transition from snap to snap, that's a huge value to have. Um, and it's not every guy can do that because not every defensive tackle can handle two gaps. Not every defensive tackle it has that gap discipline where they can, they can handle that and they don't have the diverse skill set where they can be both a run defender and uh, attack gaps and uh, protect the edge and uh, get after the quarterback. So, um, you know, it's something that is is a really valuable skill, and that that's part of the Derek Brown conversation and why I think he is probably the I don't want I don't want, I don't want to say clear favorite to be the first senior uh, drafted, but I think right now he is the favorite over Justin Herbert, who. Um, kind of to switch the uh, conversation a little bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He's he's one of the tougher guys to peg in this in this mock, especially this early, because I, I think Justin Herbert's going to be drafted based off the interviews. Um, I, there's We all know what he is physically, um, and he's been fairly accurate this year in a fairly, uh, you know, simple, uh, simple system. Um, but his interviews are going to be the difference in whether he goes top five or he goes, you know, 12 uh, or, you know, somewhere top 15. I, I think that there are going to be some teams that are going to be seduced by all of the natural talent that he offers and say there's just too much talent here for him to not be successful. Then there's going to be other teams that say, 
I, I see Ryan Tannehill and I'm out. I'm not gonna not gonna draft him in the top twenty picks. So trying to figure out where he's gonna land at this point is just it's it, it's almost as hard as Tua, you know, and obviously very dif- different circumstances. But you know, with Tua, we're gonna wait. We have to wait and see how the the recovery, the rehab, you know, how his hip uh, reacts um, until NFL doctors get involved. It's impossible to try and peg where two is going to go. And until we know how some of the interviews go, um, and even we might not even know how those go, um, I don't, I'm not sure we're going to get a great feel for how high Justin Herbert's going to go. So, uh, you know, bringing it back full circle, we started talking about the quarterbacks and where they're going to go in the first. Uh, I, I think Joe Burrow to Cincinnati at number one, if it stays, if Cincinnati stays with that top pick, um, it just makes too much sense not to happen. Um, Cincinnati cannot overthink this one. Uh, I, even with Andy Dalton, you know, he played well on Sunday, you know, great, but you know, time to get your, uh, your quarter, your new quarterback in there and Joe Burrow week in, week out. I mean, he did it again on Saturday. Uh, it just, he doesn't, he, he has not had one moment this season where you thought, where you allowed doubt to creep into your mind, uh, in terms of him being a, you know, having a big time season. Like he has not had one really negative, uh, point in his in in his season, in his senior year, and it's just it's so rare for a high profile quarterback like that to have such a, have a season like this, right? I mean, we it, it's really been impressive. Yeah, it's going to be. Uh, I'm curious to see how he reacts when he gets to the NFL and his wide receiver core is worse than it was at LSU. <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, an adjustment there, but yeah, I mean, he's been so consistent, and that's really been. That's it's why offensive I've line, too, t- if he goes to Cincinnati. Right, right. Yeah, yeah geez. That's why I've had a hard time. I, I'm really – I like Justin Herbert, and I've tried all year to kind of get there with him as that guy, you know, as a top 10 guy or top 15 guy, and it's – he makes it really difficult. <laughs> it hasn't been uh, a smooth journey, and again, I didn't think – you know, he had another – uh, kind of shaky performance this week. This is a big one coming up. I mean, not to put too much on one game. We keep, you know, highlighting these big games along the way, but we've talked about that Utah defense and how good it is uh, really on all three levels. And if he comes out and, and carries Oregon to a win on, you know, it's the only game Friday night. It's a conference championship game. It's a top, probably a top five opponent. Uh, you know, if he goes out and, and slings it around and has a really good game, that's a pretty good way to leave it with NFL evaluators as you head into the the pre-draft process. And again, you know, you didn't have the discussion about whether he'd play the bowl game, but this is a, a potentially big moment for him with the door kind of wide open for teams looking for that quarterback to ascend and, and challenge those top 10 spots. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, there's, I think a lot of people have the mindset that you, what you just said, like, okay, convince me, you know, like just, Show me why I should draft you in the top 10, top five, why we should make you the face of the franchise. And, you know, he's had moments where he's looked good. He's looked he's looked solid. But again, it just there's something missing. And, uh, you know, what, what can he do against this Utah defense that you know we've we've highlighted before? Um, if you haven't, check out my piece on um, on their defense and how they're going to have probably seven guys drafted um, this year. Uh, and just how much of a test this is going to be uh, for for him. So it's, it's quarterbacks, they, they command the conversation, and it'll be no different this year, especially with so much intrigue uh, with Tua and Herbert and possibly some other guys if we if they end up declaring. Yeah, and uh, it sort of 
transitions us in. I just want to spend a couple minutes here. We've had a handful of guys announce that they're going to enter the draft early. Uh, there was a report out there that Felipe Franks might join the ranks at some point here. I don't know. You better any opinion on that. Uh, yeah, I thought that he might be no, the opinion. No um, business. <laughs> it's kind of like if the Buffalo quarterback last year, how he was going to be a grad transfer, but then he decided to go pro and he ends up going undrafted. Like, I, I mean, Felipe Franks, you're kind of in the same boat. You're If you go pro, you're there's a very, very good chance you're not getting drafted. Um, I'd be shocked if you got drafted, put it that way. So, Go transfer somewhere, uh, you know, you you redshirted this year, so you're eligible immediately. Go find a spot where you, even if it's at the FCS level, I mean, just go win a starting job and have a good final year and then try to be a draft pick. Uh, hopefully he has the right people kind of chirping in his ear on that one. Well, the the four names that I have here that have declared, uh, J.J. Taylor, the running back from Arizona, got Jalen Rager, uh, wide receiver at, at TCU, then a couple of Missouri guys, uh, Albert Okwebunum, who we've talked about, the tight end, and nice. uh, Jordan Elliott. I, I'm not, I'm, that's my only one. You've it's been the only one I can hit. That's the only one I can hit. <laughs> uh, but uh, Jordan Elliott, uh, I can't remember if we've talked about him much, uh, if at all, on this program here, but uh, that's a good prospect too over at Missouri and, and not a surprise to see him go pro, I don't think. Yeah, uh, Texas transfer who um, he was I think number sixty overall on my uh, top one hundred board. That's I mean, it's a month old now, but um, you know it's still not it's Slacking, not many man. big. Yeah, I know not many big changes <laughs> uh, coming uh, on that. It just there, there haven't been too many ebbs and flows. Uh, but Elliot, he's just a he's a big, powerful guy who can move. He can cross the face of blockers. He can attack gaps. Um, you know, it, it, this is not a really strong, as much as we just gushed about Derek Brown, it's not really a strong defensive tackle group. Um, you know, I, Javon Kinlaw's great. You know, you got Neville Gallimore, Lucky Fotu. Uh, but when you look at these underclassmen, not going to see a lot of reinforcements coming. Uh, Marvin Wilson from Florida State. I think he has a chance to be a first rounder. I really like uh, Justin Matabuke from Texas A&M. And then Jordan Elliott, you know, he's right there. So, um, you know, a chance to be a day two guy, possibly a second rounder. Um, uh, again, 6'4", 325 pounds, uh, and he can move a little bit uh, with that power. So, yeah, like him a lot. Alberto at tight end, uh, not a – I don't know. I, I think that he had such a great um, was a redshirt freshman year that I think you know the the first round started. You got attached to him very early, which is a little unfair to him because I don't know if he, he. I don't think he's really ever been a first round player. Um, he's. I think he's always been good enough to be maybe in that top 100 conversation, but not quite good enough to be a first round player. So, um, I, you know, good to see him to be part of this draft class. I think he's somewhere in that third round mix. And it, and again, this is a tight end class that's tough to get excited about. There, we, I doubt we're going to have a first round um, tight end. The only, I think, chance would be maybe Hunter Bryant, even though I think that He's just, you know, he doesn't offer much as a blocker and, you know, because he's basically a slot receiver that could squeeze him out of the first round. And then uh, Cole Komet, who I I know he said he's going back and he wants to play baseball. But, um, you know, I was told that he was kind of surprised by that uh, uh, question and he kind of just, you know, said what was, um, you know, the easy answer. But if he's projected to go high enough, 
Don't be surprised if Cole Komet is still part of this draft class. Uh, so it really just depends on the feedback he receives from NFL teams. Um, he would be the uh, the tight end one, I think, um, when it's all said and done in this draft class. Um, now, does he get in the first round? Uh, you know, that's a tougher question. Uh, but th- this tight end class uh, definitely needs some help from a few of these underclassmen. And Alberto, uh, one of them. Good to see him part of this group. I'll kind of leave it on the with JJ Taylor here because uh, that's a, a name that I don't know that uh, you know he's playing in the Pac-12 for a team that hasn't been very good. I don't know how many people watching the NFL and kind of dipping into draft coverage know that name, but he was super productive last year for Arizona, mm-hmm. and he was over a thousand yards from scrimmage this year um, with uh, you know 180 touches. He's averaged like five and a half, six yards per touch for his entire career. Um, undersized guy but I mean it's not too hard to envision him being you know kind of a maybe a passing down back change of pace back in the NFL I guess the question is is just he is he too small because we've seen some of the you know, like a Donnell Pumphrey was a guy who blew up in mm-hmm. college and then the size was a huge factor for him you know teams just he just really couldn't overcome it uh among other things but at, at the next level that size was really a liability and I guess that's got to be the biggest question with JJ Taylor at you know five six one eighty one eighty five. Is he just too small to be an NFL back? Right. Yeah. The chips are stacked against him, which just doesn't have the ideal body type. Um, and watching him, I, there are things I like about him. I mean, you kind of mentioned how being a change of pace guy, he's very go go go. I mean, there's a lot of gas, not much breaks to his run style, and that's. That could be a good thing. You can create your own power doing that. You, you're able to, uh, you know, get on top of the defense before they can do anything. Uh, but it also means you're, you know, running into your own blockers and you're uh, not allowing holes to develop. And so the lack of tempo, the lack of patience, uh, that that also stands out on his film. Uh, but he can get your ball out of the backfield. And, you know, there's just he, he looks like a natural in the screen game. And that that's something that could help him. Um, I think Pumphrey that it, I like that comparison. I, I think that does make some sense um, in a lot of ways. Uh, reasons why uh, you know he could get drafted, but also reasons why he might. Well, uh, yeah, like I said, I got just a handful of guys who have declared. I'm sure we'll have a ton more now that uh, a lot of teams' seasons are coming to an end, and uh, between now and bowl season gets going on December 20th. So I'm sure we'll hear a lot about players entering in the next, uh, two and a half weeks here. So we'll keep an eye on that for you. Um, as Dave mentioned, working on his mock draft. So Thursday, again, that's our subscriber only show that you can get. Uh, if you subscribe to the athletic, you go to the athletic.com slash prospects to pros, get 40% off annual subscription. You can listen to that show. We're going to break down the mock draft a little bit as we head into, uh, conference championship week a lot of these guys I'm sure that are uh, in round one for Dane's mock probably are playing this coming weekend or uh, <laughs> headed to to good bowl games and have those decisions to make about whether they're actually going to suit up or not but a lot of familiar names there and we'll we'll break all that down later in the week and continue as I said to keep an eye on uh, these declarations guys going pro early so a lot to talk about as always when we get back into it in a couple days Uh, For Dane Brugler and Kent Garrison, I'm Chris Burke, and we'll talk to you soon. 